Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space. I think one of the biggest things for the young trans people in my space is to experience relationships that they did not think were possible just for people who care and who empathize and who will listen to them. I think that's what it is. It's, it's really putting your feet on the ground, not just having those conversations with your family, but going into those communities, talking to those people, seeing what's up, what's going on. The same things that we're saying that we would like folks to do with the Black community at large in general. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all the new beginnings that we have for this year. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace Podcast, and I have a question for you. Do you want to start your own podcast? Have you been thinking to yourself, you know what, I want to start a podcast, but you just haven't taken the leap? If that's you, I got you. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your own podcast from start to finish. I'll teach you how to format your show and pitch great guests. I'll teach you how to stand out in the crowd of nearly 1 million podcasts, but I'm also going to teach you how to get your mind right, okay? We're going to talk about how to overcome imposter syndrome and how to deal with fear on your podcasting journey. So even if you're not tech savvy, it's okay. This masterclass is just for you. So visit cherrylomax.com and click on the pink link in the middle of your screen and register for my free podcasting masterclass. Again, that's terrylomax.com. T-E-R-R-I-L-O-M-A-X.com. I hope to see you there. All right, all right, lady. We have a very special guest today in her space. We're super excited. We have Aaron Scott here today with us. Aaron Scott is an LGBT youth specialist at one of the largest nonprofit housing resource centers in the world. Aaron is also a program supervisor and works with connecting young LGBT people ages 18 through 24 to housing resources, employment, education, therapy, and much more. Aaron has also been working with LGBT youth ages 3 through 24 for about five years. 
and has a deep passion for gender studies, intersectionality, and supporting homeless at-risk Black persons of color. Erin, welcome to Her Space. Oh man, thank y'all for having me. Very happy to be here. Very happy. Very excited. Yay. You you know I am so excited to have you here. And so we are going to dive right in. We are going to start with our quote of the day. And this quote comes to us from Londoner Nick. It's annoying because I feel like the conversations I'm having with white people about the right to life for black people are the same conversations I'm having with black people about the right to exist for trans people. Wow. I know. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Let me sit with that. Wow. Wow. Perfect quote. Perfect quote. Perfect comparison to how the the person who wrote that dead on just about the way that we have to have these conversations with our own people. It's actually making me think of a poem from Audre Lorde. I can't remember the poem word for word, but she just kind of talked about walking in a room full of people that are supposed to be her own and not knowing who to trust. Talking about those people in the room being Black people and being fearful and and unsure and untrusting because she understands that those people are not necessarily her people. (laughs) Wow. Damn. (laughs) Right? Mm. The people that look like you, so your skin folk, Mm -hmm. aren't really your people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. Yeah. But I feel like that is what I can't speak from a place of personal experience. So I can only imagine that that is the space that a lot of black LGBT folks feel. Mm. I think that I'm going to move even further, be a little more radical and not say a lot, but all. And I think the ones that are maybe not voicing it, it's it's an internalized feeling. It's an understanding that they have about it, that we choose to kind of take what we can get when it comes to being Black. And again, much like the quote that you read, it's about separating us out and deciding which of us deserves to be here and which of us doesn't, which is dead on for white supremacy, right? Dead on for a lot of the things that we, we say as Black people that we're struggling with, right? deserving to be here, mattering, right? I mean, in these moments, you have Black LGBT people who are scared, people who want to protest, who want to get in the streets and think twice, and rightfully so, because we've seen now where these things can go when it's a gathering of our people. And again, going back to, you know, is it my people, right? Whew, that is a lot to sit with, right? And and to know that that is someone's every day existence. And so as we dive into this conversation and because, you know, what we really want to kind of highlight is the experience of Black trans youth, because I think that that is a conversation that, I mean, I've seen in the headlines recently, right? But I know that that's not a conversation that we have often enough. You know, Mm -hmm. I was reading some statistics on the number of trans people who their deaths have been documented. And one of the most alarming statistics that I read was that 90% of the killings of trans folks that are documented, 90% of those 
are Black trans folks. Mm. That would be my first time hearing that number. But as someone who's pretty much at ground zero when it comes to young Black trans people, that fits right with what they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Many of the young people that I work with experience, you know, constant stalking, people following them, pretty much always being afraid, never being in a position of stability, because even when they're searching for housing, people who we get vouchers can't get into places because once people find out they're trans, they don't want them there. They feel like, well, if this person lives here, it's going to bring a bad image to my place. A certain type of shady character is going to be here because this person is trans. A certain type of sexual activity is going to be here because this person is trans. And they create a, this deviance, right? Even I would say maybe an archetype that has actually been pressed on people for years about trans people, that their lives are, are, are always in turmoil and that we should be weary of them. And so to, to hear something like 90%, I think it fits very accurately because these are our forgotten children, because most of them that I come in contact with continue to struggle beyond the age that even the place I work can help them, where we find them housing and, and something weird happens. And it's, it's almost always connected to them being trans, which is so interesting because today, of course, on a lighter note, we had the Supreme Court pass that it's illegal to discriminate against someone for this. But unfortunately, I think in practice, we are, we're just very entrenched in what we think of trans people and, and that we actually very much believe that Black trans people deserve to die, that they don't deserve our time, our energy. I think now in the movement, the word is that speaking up about Black trans live is divisive, right? This is pulling us apart. <laughs> which is interesting because I would say that Black trans people, Black trans youth are actually the barometer, right? For Black people, kind of like we always say, like they test out the worst things. And if you can look at this place with Black people, they'll tell you the story because they're always going to be at the bottom and treated the worst. Well, I, I could say this about Black trans people within our community, right? That if you really want to see the state of where we are and where we are as a community, and if, if we're coming together, Look at the Black trans youth and look what's happening. That makes perfect sense to me because one of the things that I was taught in terms of like community mental health work is to ask the question, to really get a pulse on how the community is doing, is to ask the question, how are the children? Mm. Mm. Wow. Like you truly get a sense of the pulse of the community when you understand how are the children functioning. Now, Anne, before we dive in, can you just give us a quick definition of what it means to be transgender in case we have listeners um, that aren't aware or that might need some further explanations there? What is the proper language that people should know about when interacting with, I know we're talking about the trans community specifically today, but even the LGBTQ community as well. Like, What is the language to use? And then maybe we'll move on to your story and some of the things that you notice with the youth that you work with. The definition of someone who is transgender is someone who is transitioning their gender. And that sounds very simple, but it actually can be very complex. I would say that transgenderism can mean so many things. It is not tied 
explicitly to whether someone wants surgery or not. This is someone who disagrees with the gender that they were assigned at birth and has chosen to be themselves in another way. And transgender is a way that we have labeled in society. Transgender is not a sexual orientation, which is who you prefer sexually. It is an expression of oneself beyond what society has said about them or told them that they had to be. And I would actually challenge folks when I'm talking about transgenderism to ask themselves, what were they told to be? And what things did they not agree with? Mm. And how did they get pushback on that? And if they have challenged those things any further as they've come into themselves on their journey. Mm, those are deep, thought-provoking questions. Thank you for that, Erin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one of the easiest ways to explain this is to stop projecting what you think you see on people. Because you don't know people until they tell you who they are. And I think that's an easy point to start because I think we all can kind of empathize with that idea. And the truth is, it's about asking people who they are. And I think when we're talking about language and LGBT people, I would say that to just ask and be open to what people say and, and start to go beyond what our eyes have cued us to believe about someone. And this is very important because I think in a lot of ways, this can tie to some other things because when we meet people and we start projecting our ideas of them before they've told us who they are, it's the way that we are trying to control them because we're putting them in our box. And I think that if we could just start there. When I started doing this work, I'd been to school, I'd read many things. I'm a, I'm a deep, deep reader, deep studier, deep researcher. But when I came in contact with young people, nothing that I had read in a textbook prepared me to just pretty much empty out my brain when someone tells me who they are, that I can see someone and to me, they can look feminine. They can appear to be a woman and they'll look me in the face and say, I'm a boy and how I'm presenting to you should not dictate me telling you right now that I'm a boy and that's it. Whatever you thought boys look like, let that go. Because obviously I'm telling you who I am. And so if we can just be open to that when it comes to language, trans folks, and I know that, you know, one of the big things folks talks about uh, pronouns, right? Respecting people's pronouns. And I think I hear a lot of cis hetero black people saying they struggle with all this quote unquote new language. And I think that that's not true because folks are creating language every day, learning new words, doing new things all the time, and it's never an issue. And so just to remember that a lot of the language we have now, when it comes to they, them, she, her, going beyond that to bi, trans, femme, boys, and all the intersectionalities of all these things that can happen, you are very capable of being able to put those things together. You are just kind of stuck in this place where the boxes that you've put people in and that they've told you to put people in are stuck there. And so I think that's just more of a general way that we can open up about language and maybe understanding what we're talking about when we say, these are my pronouns, this is my identity, this is who I'm attracted to, this is who I like to date, and so on and so forth. Just let folks tell you. Dom and I have been doing research about trans you know, people and trans youth, what are some of the common things that you notice 
about the trans youth that you work with specifically? I think a common theme is a lot of the similarities between specifically like trans women and say like cisgendered women are their struggles with cisgendered men and the way that this affects their lives, right? Which I think for trans women, it's actually, it's very dangerous in a different way. But I think, again, it's, it's very relatable to what, what cisgendered women experience, right? Of being attracted to cisgendered men, wanting a certain type of man in their life, but also a lot of the misogyny and things like that. And I think there's definitely a correlation between transphobia, internalized transphobia, and also, and also misogynoir, right? I think the young Black trans women are constantly talking about this, are constantly in conversation about this, are constantly taking risks. A big thing in the trans community is a conversation about passing, if you're getting clocked or not, right? And, you know, we don't walk with girls who get clocked, right? But then also there's a little bit of internalized transphobia happening there. There's a little bit of gender identity oppression happening there, right? Because not everyone who's trans wants to achieve this ideal of a woman or ideal of a man that everybody has in their head. There's no, you know, completion goal thing that people be saying about being a man or a woman, which comes back to the binary again, which is dangerous. But I think the trans youth are constantly talking about relationships, constantly talking about being outsiders and trying to to just be a part of the community and also struggling to create their own as they're doing that. I want to go back to a word that you used because I want to make sure. So I have an understanding, I think, of what it means, but I want to make sure that our listeners have an understanding too. the word clock. What does that mean exactly? So that would mean if you are trans and let's say you desire to be a feminine trans woman, being clocked with me, you want to pass as a cisgendered woman and men find out that you were born a man. This would mean being clocked, right? People discovering or feeling like that's not a woman, right? This would be being clocked in the trans community. A lot of times it's the people who are in the in-between spaces of their transition who get clocked more, who maybe don't have the resources to pass as they want to. And that's what being clocked is. And it's actually very dangerous, if you want the truth. Yeah, I could imagine it sounds very dangerous because I go back to what you were saying about transphobia and misogynoir. And I could imagine that if a trans woman is encountering a cis heterosexual man and they find out based on like transphobia and misogynoir, I could imagine the anger or frustration, surprise, whatever feelings may come up for that cis hetero man and that aggressive reaction, what I anticipate would be an aggressive reaction towards that trans woman. Absolutely. It's extremely dangerous, actually. You have trans people that go in between passing and trying not to be clocked, and then also some not caring, some wanting to be, because surprisingly, there are people who are attracted to things that maybe none of us think about because we're not attracted to it. But it's a life and death game. But also, I would like to 
remind folks that this is a lot about affirming trans people when they're doing this, right? This is about affirming them in who they, they are saying they are. A lot of affirming things about being a woman comes through being with a certain type of man as we understand it in our society. And so that is what they're trying to do. They're actually attempting to slide into some of the boxes that everyone's made, right? And it's very dangerous. It's, it's rough. It's hard. And so when I think about, because the article that I read where I got that statistic from points out that a lot of the experiences of trans folks, particularly how many trans folks are assaulted, abused, and killed, mm-hmm. goes undocumented. I was wondering if you have any idea of any research studies that might be available where they are really truly like a qualitative study that is truly exploring the lives of trans folk and really trying to understand everything from housing and education to mental health and finances, like really trying to understand the full experience. I mean, I've read some compilations of some things. And I think the things that I've read are more about experiences than they are like these these types of numbers. You know, C. Riley Snorton's book, Trans on Both Sides, talks about a lot of the history and how we got here and, and, and a little bit of some of the state we're in now. But this type of research is so rare. I mean, I work at a place that is obviously keeping data and there's no way for me in my day to day to click and see, you know, like just where the trans women are as far as employment and housing and, and things like that. And so maybe that's something that folks need to really get on. I think there needs to be more research around that. I think sometimes it's hard to do research on this population because high level of distrust in general with the way that people explore trans lives. Understandable. Right. I I think that, you know, people don't want to be outed, right? They think about these things, how it's going to affect their family. We have trans folks that have not talked to their family, you know, that have just become another person. And, and left that behind. So I think this is a group that it would be very hard to capture a sample for a lot of these mm-hmm. numbers that we're really talking about, a meaningful sample to actually put some real research together. I think just trying to, to gather folks for something like that would be really tough. And Erin, based on your experience and your work and your research, why do you believe it's so hard for some people to have empathy for Black trans people. I mean, we see in the news, I mean, lately I was telling Dom how I saw that there were a couple of Black trans women killed in Philly, and then there were just other things happening, and you don't see a lot of outrage. You don't see a lot of people talking about it. Why do you think it's so hard for people to have empathy for them? I think that people would really have to really take a hard look at themselves, get over a lot of the harmful ideas that they were taught coming up. I think Black people in particular have very strong ties to what they believe as far as like their ancestry and where they come from and how things are set up. We have a very strong tie to white supremacy, whether we want to talk about that reality or not, whether we want to talk about the ways that we've confronted some of the very harmful and wrong ideas 
about ourselves through white supremacy, right? I think this goes right into what we're talking about with trans people, where you would have to take a step back and realize that so much of what you think you know about yourself might actually not be true, that you might actually have more options than you are willing to explore, and that the presence of this trans person is very bold. They are being themselves. They are telling the world that you can tell me all you want who you think I am, but I'm telling you who I am. And I think that there are many of us that are afraid of that. And that's why it's transphobia, right? That's why it's homophobia, right? It scares people. It definitely scares Black people who share very transphobic, homophobic ideas. And it's tied up in our religions. It's tied up in our families. It's so deep with us. And we don't want to reckon with that grandma and them was real wrong about this, that this isn't right. And we also don't want to be the ones to have those conversations. And it's about that self-work that people just aren't willing to do. That's so powerful. Yes. Like there were so many amazing points in there. And there's a couple of things that I want to circle back to. So one of the things that I want to circle back to is about the conversations, right? So how do we go about having those conversations, right? Let's say, hypothetically, because we all know somebody in our life who is homophobic or transphobic, right? Absolutely. How do we go about having those conversations with them, with that person? Wow. That is a layered question and answer. I think it's important for me to say this, that if you are cisgender, if you're not visibly LGBT, please don't front about what other cis hetero people say about us. Don't pretend like it don't come up. Don't pretend like rude things don't get said. Don't pretend very deep, hurtful things don't get said. Don't front because we all know. And let's not act like folks ain't bold about it. Mm-hmm. That right. folks wear transphobia and homophobia proudly, actually. They actually stand in being heterosexual stronger by being very homophobic, being very transphobic, right? There, there are studies that say that the definition of heterosexuality is more the absence of homosexuality, right? That, that homosexuality existed first. And that so much of the heterosexual identity is tied up in not being homosexual, right? And so I think this kind of ties in when we're talking about conversations is that let's, let's not front about what people believe and say. And let's not act like there aren't opportunities to check folks right where they're at. And I don't think you need a bunch of information and a whole lot of books and all this stuff because it's coming up because it's existed. Right. People act like, you know, there's all this newfangled and all this. None of this stuff is new. It's been going on. It's just that same erasure in our families, pretending that it ain't there until it bothers you and you want to say something yeah. hurtful. Mm-hmm. And so I think the how is about seizing the moment, you know, kind of what's going on around us. When those things come up, We need folks to stand strong and like, this isn't right. I was recently having a conversation saying like, wow, you know, like, I almost don't know any cisgender, cis hetero people 
that are just like really forward about supporting trans people. I don't know any. And I think the reason is because they fear what people will think about them if they go too hard for it. And then that should also raise up questions for yourself right there. That's an issue. So I think that when those offensive things come up, you have to say something. You have to be bold. And I think we have to know that it ain't going to take one conversation. We, we deep up in the white supremacy right. conversation in years and years. We about four, five hundred, however many years. And, 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 and folks think mm-hmm. like I had my one conversation about trans people and it was real uncomfortable and I'm good. Y'all heard what I thought about it. We good on that, right? Y'all know what I think. Okay, I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> you know, that's not what it is. It's, it's going to take a lot of repetition, which is what learning is. Repetition. Repetition of the truth that black trans folk are black folk. Point blank, period. And that any liberation ideas without black trans people, black LGBT people, it's not liberation work for black people. It's us separating out who deserves and who doesn't and us being re-entrenched in those patterns of white supremacy. So had a conversation or get out the way. Mm. Okay. So we have to have the conversations. Okay. Now, how do we have those conversations with our friends and family that are entrenched in religion? Because that's one of the things, like Mm. you mentioned that earlier, about how our religion has played a role in homophobia and transphobia. And so how do we engage in those conversations with our friends and family that will try to invoke religion into the conversation? I think a lot of this is, of course, reminding us to do our research and understand a lot about the religions that we are, you know, putting these ideas out and that we are in a a white supremacist system. We're in the West. It's a westernized situation, right? Christianity is a, originally a Eastern religion from Ethiopia and that a lot of the ideas that we understand now, we're talking about through years and years of translation, meetings and changings and things like that. When it comes to our religion, we have to know that there are a lot of harmful ideas that we've carried with those translations, right? Especially once it got translated into English, especially when white people got a hold of it and started using it as a tool of oppression. And so once we can tap into that truth, and I think most Black religious folk can get with that truth. And I think what might be hard about that is that that also alludes to some other traditional ideas they're entrenched in, right? And I think that's the fear a lot of times with with having this conversation and shaking the table with religious folk is that if they could come to understand that a lot of these harmful ideas are oppressing other Black people, that they would also come to understand themselves in a different way. And that it would shake a lot of the other traditional ideas they have about themselves and about other people that they love. Right. And I think we have to just remember that religion and the texts of any kind. Right. Not just Christianity involve a lot of context, a lot of nuance. Right. We have to remember that these weren't just like isolated events and stories like these are real people. Right. These are historical implications that we're talking about here. And that we have to remember for for the time we're in now, 
whatever religious views you have, that if they are the oppression and the thorn in the side of any peoples, then there's a problem there and there's something hypocritical about what your religion says and how it is in practice, right? And I think we have to challenge each other on that in general. Cool. (laughs) I think that's going to be hard for a lot of people. Mm. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not saying that they shouldn't do the work. <laughs> yeah, but but isn't self work the hardest work, right? It yeah. is indeed. I think indeed. That we can all agree that it's that self work that just really hits hard. That we don't always talk about. We we like to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and we can see everybody else. We can see everybody yeah. else. But, and I read this in a book re- uh, recently about radical honesty. How are you being radically honest? And what that really means is what are those small things that you lie to yourself and others about all the time? And how do those things manifest as fear? And how does that fear turn into projection? And how does that projection turn into control of other people? And then that judgment of if they deserve to be here or not, right? Levels to how we get here. And it, it does start at that self-work. It really does. Now, Erin, I want to ask a question and feel free to correct me if this question is not presented in the best way. Considering what we're talking about now, I think about people that will say they don't understand or they don't agree, right? Mm-hmm. And the question that I have is, is there a world, is there a space that exists where someone can understand that Black Lives Matter which includes Black trans lives, Black LGBTQ lives. And even though this person may not understand or agree with this because of their religion, because of what they were taught, mm. is there still a place for them to still be an advocate and ally? And st- does that, is, that, is that possible for that to coexist for some people? Ooh, that's a tough one. And I think this is going to be rough for some folks to hear. Dr. Angela Davis said something on her live stream the other day that I thought was very powerful. And mm-hmm. she said, there are certainly some black folk that I don't want to align with. And I think that I was very taken back and I know how radical she is, but as yeah. a young black LGBT person, I felt her deeply. And mm-hmm. so I think that I have to step back sometimes when people are talking about, well, I just don't agree with that. This is the thing. You don't really have that power and that I'm taking that back. And that's what the trans community is saying. We're saying, I'm not giving you the power to accept or tolerate me. You will respect me or get out the way. And I think that's all it is to it, right? I think that because, again, earlier Dr. Broussard alluded to a statistic of 90%, right? And, and, and that statistic doesn't go into the deepness of uh, who is perpetuating these murders and these harmful things that are happening, right? And we know that a lot of it is our skin folk. We've seen that now. We saw, you know, Iana Dior get, get jumped, you know, well, from what I understand, was going to a protest situation, <laughs> right? It was supposed to be a unity situation. And, and after seeing that, I, I talked to some young trans people who said, I ain't going out there marching for no black men. Mm. Look what they do, right? They were very honest about it. I'm not going out there. We know what it means for us, right? And I think that 
unfortunately, because the situation is so desperate for young trans people, life or death, I think they ain't even thinking about if you want to be an ally or not. This is survival, which is exactly why the attitude is you don't get to accept or tolerate me. You will respect me and my experience and my existence, or you can get out the way. And that we're not looking to line ourselves with folks that are killing us. And rightfully so. And so then for those of us who do respect the trans community and want to be advocates, like so taking it a step beyond being an ally, but being an advocate, what does that look like? I've thought hard about this because the needs, the list is so long. But I would say beyond just the simple educate yourself, right? I think beyond that. Right, because that's what an ally would do. Right, right. (laughs) I think beyond just educating yourself in this capitalistic system, young Black trans people need folks to open up their hearts and their wallets. 100. And when I say hearts and wallets, what I'm saying is, as I said earlier, that a lot of young Black trans people are often talking about relationships, often talking about needing community and not having it, not having spaces for themselves just to be able to exist, not having just a space to feel safe amongst their own, and that Black folks should start creating spaces for that, trans-exclusive spaces, because we actually are living in a time where many of the Trans spaces are disappearing. Many of the LGBT spaces are disappearing. And for certain, the Black LGBT places are disappearing. It's almost always an integrated everybody party now. That's, that's the push these days. I mean, unfortunately, we still need to just hold space for, for this community where they feel safe around their brothers and sisters because we know how dangerous it is, it is otherwise. And so I would challenge Black folks who want to be an advocate that after they've done their research, that they look into those grassroots organizations that are doing the work, that there are homes, group homes, there are trans people with, with funds online. I follow one on Instagram. It, it's called For the Girls. You know, all they do all day long is talk about trans women who are in desperate situations that need your money right now, that it's always urgent. And look into giving into those situations. I think we often just get caught up in, in big name organizations and we tell ourselves we feel good about that, right? Go a little deeper, form some relationships. I think one of the biggest things for the young trans people in my space is to experience relationships that they did not think were possible just for people who care and who empathize and who will listen to them. I think that's what it is. It's, it's really putting your feet on the ground not just having those conversations with your family, but going into those communities, talking to those people, seeing what's up, what's going on. The same things that we're saying that we would like folks to do with the Black community at large in general. Get in there. Put your feet on the ground. Love your people. Feed folk. You know, dance with them. Feel good with them. Feel good together. Experience Black joy together. You know, soak it up. These these things are very important because trans people very much so crave these things, need these things, and certainly from Black folk. Certainly from Black folk. As you're saying that, 
it sounds like the things that that are needed. What's so astounding to me is that these are the these are everyday things mm. that we all want. Yes. And most of us have the privilege of having easy access to. And so I find myself feeling so heartbroken that when, you know, I ask about being an advocate, that an advocate really is about basic human rights. I think, again, it just goes back to some of those alarming figures about Black trans youth and Black trans people in general, and that they are living lives without those basic things that we need, that they're often in situations where if they aren't kicked out, they're being held hostage, right? You have families that don't always kick trans folks out, but keep them close so they can't fully experience themselves in that way. And again, you know, just somewhere to stay, somewhere where love exists, small things that you can do. Just being an advocate, you know, I don't want it to come off the wrong way, but I, I think I could actually ask, like, how many folks who are not trans are in those circles, are hearing those stories? That's an important question. Yeah. I think that, and this is not me saying go out and say like, oh, I have a trans friend. You know, I'm an advocate, but I ain't saying that. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is. Let's not be performative. Let's not perform it. And let's be real and ask yourself about your circle, your community, and who's there and who's not. And why? Not just what, why? Well, I think I know we are definitely going to have a list of organizations in our show notes that people can people can donate to. Awesome. I got some great ones. I can, I can type some out. And Erin, if you could just tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, how did you even become this advocate, this ally, this this pillar of strength for LGBTQ youth? So interestingly enough, I think a lot of my advocacy work starts at the church. I grew up in a very pro-Black church. They took me to see Amistad when I was nine years old. I was near crying like a baby. But they were very forward about Blackness, right? And early on in my life, I think internally I asked myself questions about a lot of my favorite Black heroes. And I think at the top of the list for me was if they would accept someone like me because I fall under the LGBT umbrella. I identify as non-binary, which means someone who does not buy into the gender binary of male or female or any binaries for that matter. And so I think I always struggled with that. And I think that my pro-Blackness and the things that I understood about that and the way I was raised propelled me to attend college at HBCUs, where I experienced many, many hurtful things when it came to sexual orientation and gender, specifically. That I was, you know, threatened. Uh, I had someone break into my my home, threaten me, and a lot mm-hmm. of their language was around me being being gay, things like that. Just experienced many things at my first HBCU. At my second HBCU, I wouldn't say that I experienced moments like that. I would say that it would be things like I was in the lobby and someone would just make sure to bring up how things are different now and 
homosexuality is wrong and, you know, they bring up the Bible. And this is a common theme at universities in general, because I think most universities are founded in conservative views. And then I chose to leave Texas and pursue a grad program in California, which was not an HBCU and where I was isolated because of my race. And so here I am, a young, young student struggling with this intersection of my gender identity presentation and then also my race, where I couldn't quite find a spot where I felt comfortable and I felt really good, where I couldn't quite come into myself. And this caused me to kind of step back from that, really kind of dig in deep. And I think a lot of what I was struggling with was non-binaryness, transness, understanding myself and the world around me. From there, I moved home and then moved right back to California and jumped in doing nonprofit LGBT work. And I've been on that ever since. I've worked with young people between the ages of three and 24. One of my youngest clients actually was a young man who was six years old. And I was assigned to him specifically because he was struggling with things around gender. And then when I met the young man, I realized that a lot of what they were what the struggle was, was that his grandmother was very religious and that he liked things that they didn't really approve of him liking. He wasn't really good at basketball and things like that. And he, he liked female rappers. And there were these things about him where I started understanding why they had assigned me to him. And I think one of the most impactful things about all of it was for me as a worker, wow, like this kid's going to grow up and a lot of who he is, they want me to kind of strip him of that. <laughs> and they, they just want me as a presence to keep him comfortable as I'm doing that. And I kind of stepped back again. And then when I started working with some of the older youth, I just realized, wow, this go- kind of goes back to that young man where it just starts so young, where young Black LGBT people are told to not be themselves, are sent mixed messages. And I think I was sent some of those mixed messages, right? The people that I know love me sent me mixed messages about myself because it's hard to hear folks say, I love you, but also don't be you. So it's a tough thing for a young person. And so I pretty much dedicated myself around youth because these age ranges that I'm talking about are, are spaces that we really can capture young folk and make the biggest impact. And that's where I am now continuing that work and moving forward with working on writing a collection of essays right now. And it's called Everything in Between. I'm going to talk a lot about those nuances about LGBT people and everything between those letters, everything that we don't talk about, the spectrums of things that we don't talk about and the way all these things come together in a lot of people's experiences. So I'm I'm hoping to get that out in 2021, COVID willing. (laughs) if I can. (laughs) Erin, that was a powerful story, number one. And I'm sitting here thinking, so you was just going to let us leave without telling us that amazing story. Like, come on now. That was, I mean, it was so moving and I'm just very empathetic about your experience. And I think one thing that you said that really was just like, damn, when you said, you know, I love you, but don't be you or something along those lines. And that's just like uh, just a punch to the chest, you know, and even about the young student that you worked with. And so 
We appreciate you. We appreciate you educating oh, all of us. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. We're so grateful. And we would love to end our conversation on a positive note. And so we want to shift up the energy just a little bit on the podcast. And because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet, that's just how we do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We can still be elegant and dance to strip club music. We want to invite you, okay, to the OU Clatchet segment. So, Aaron, take on the challenge. I don't know what that means, but I'm all for the classy and the ratchet, so I'm going to take on the challenge. All right, all right. We're ready. We're ready. Okay, so our first question. What is the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? Oh, the most spontaneous? One night standing? That's a good one. We have some very interesting. Yeah, that was good. That's spontaneous. That's risky out here. Yes. (laughs) Keeping it honest. I love it. I love it. All right, Aaron. What is your biggest pet peeve? I feel like it's going to be a good one. What's your biggest pet peeve? That the, the person that emails you and then they reply to all of them and they keep coming in. I know that's oh. like a, a corporate thing, but like, yes. wow, I heard it 20 times. Like, wow, congratulations. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> right. Then I got, it is like, then I got to decide, should I type congratulations too so everybody can see it? And, you know, right. very annoying. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, I love it. Okay. So what is your biggest guilty pleasure? Honestly, I really love when black women got the long nails and they do the click clack when they're talking to you. <laughs> I, I live for that. I, I live for the click clack when she's talking to me like, wow, that's my tie. You know, like mm, guilty pleasure as hell. Okay. Okay. Sorry, sorry, y'all. I had to mute myself because I was laughing too obnoxiously loud (laughs) for that one there, and that was good. (laughs) Is it my turn, Dom? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, look at you. You just distracted. Oh, yeah, I was laughing. Mean, I mean, tra- no, okay, I mean, that's what came to mind. I love it. I, I, just, I just picture Cardi B's long oh, nails click-clacking. Wow. It. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. What's your favorite drink? This, this is an adult podcast, right? This is a grown Yeah. Yes, grown folks. Yeah. So, Hennessy Straight. Straight up, like, I, I'm not a mixed type person. It's a Hennessy straight situation. I need it every time. Yeah. All right. We got okay. Henny on the menu. Okay. Got to keep it Henny thing as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> and I can imagine that anything is possible when you hit the dance floor. So. Right. Our final <laughs> question. Do you twerk or two-step? So right now I'm a mixture between the old uncle two-step and I do a little bit of the Tina from Bob's Burgers twerk. You know, it's like a little, oh, you know, yes. mm-hmm. I got to do the little back jerk a little bit when it's getting good <laughs> to me. Yeah. Yes. So, but I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a two-stepper. I'm a two-stepper. For sure. For sure. You got that Henny in your cup and you got that, old, that old Uncle Two-Step. All right. We it's with it. Right. It's only right. Hey, it's only right. Hey, it's only right. Hey, it's only right. Hey. This was so fun. Thank you so much, Aaron. For sure. For sure.
I like that. That's, I'm normally not good at questions like that too, on the spot. <laughs> That's what we love about this is that like we have gotten such a wide variety of answers and everyone yeah. has been just so willing to dive in and open up in this way. And so we love doing this. So Man. again, thank you. And thank you so, so much for oh, being God. willing to educate us and create, help us to create space to have this conversation, a much needed conversation. Man, thank y'all. I feel like y'all really made space for me to just really get a lot of the young people's experiences out here. And I really do appreciate that. I feel like it was very much so a, we're here to listen situation, which is beautiful because a lot of times these young people, they don't, their voices won't get out there. You know, the things that are happening to them, we don't often have platforms that just let it get out there. And I, I really appreciate y'all for that. And it was, it was a very emotionally charged conversation. I felt it the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. The energy was just, man, it was, it was all so, you know, it was all, I felt that it was all so close to us, all of us, as we were talking. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. You are so, so yes. welcome. Mm-hmm. I feel like we, we had to close out with a group virtual hug. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the HerSpace podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit herspacepodcast.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Thanks for joining us today in Herspace. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health. But it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Herspace Podcast, or check out our website at herspacepodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. There's something inside of me that's bigger than any obstacle. We'll see you next week, lady.